You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Go to riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. This is the deal, is that God uses imperfect heroes. We think about heroes, and we have lots of movies that are about heroes. Marvel Comics was all about heroes, and Stan Lee was like ahead of his time when he made these heroes that had all sorts of life issues. I mean, think about every one of those heroes. That Even my favorite, Captain America, who is, seems to be upright and, and moral and a good guy, a good friend and everything, had issues from his past, back from the days when he was little and picked on and everything, but he was a loyal friend. But he had issues, and all of those heroes have issues, and all the heroes that I know of seem to have some kind of issue. And now our culture wants to easily throw away some people that might be considered heroes. They made the ultimate sacrifice. They uh, did something great, uh, but then the people look into their past and say, yeah, they did that great thing, but they were messed up when it came to this, or uh, they didn't do good with that. There's this book called From Jerusalem to Irian Jaya that talks about the lives of missionaries from uh, like worldwide missions and things like that. And the author almost seemed to go out of her way to try to share all of the imperfections of missionaries. Like, I think it was David Livingston was a great missionary, but a terrible father. And when we look at the Bible, we also see that some of the Bible heroes are messed up, but they are real people. So Christian heroes realize they don't always do everything perfect, but they answer the call. And I'm going to talk about, I think it's six things on your outline, that they do. Uh, Childhood heroes kids. They often have heroes. Sometimes they're sports figures. Sometimes uh, they're from the Marvel comic series. Sometimes they're just uh, something they read in a book or whatever. But it's interesting that 60% of kids ages 9 to 13 say they have a hero. The top five categories for their hero might not be what you expect, but they are, number one, relatives and friends brings almost 53%. What kid is looking to you saying, you're my hero because you do this, or you're my hero. Uh, Is there something that you do that is heroic? Is there something that you do that is awesome in the lives of a child? I bet there are kids looking to you, watching your example, noticing when you do acts of kindness and try to help them, even help them grow in Christ. Athletes, 31.5%. Religious figures, 11.3%. Fictional characters, 11.3%. And political historical figures, 8.7%. So that's probably gone down too now because the people that are actually in politics that are there often aren't the people that our kids would be looking to to be heroes. A matter of fact, I think that politicians that serve the people and do what's right and try to honor God and better the nation and everything like that are heroes and are awesome, but because it seems like everybody seems to have something in their past, a lot of people that would say, well, I would serve in that way, but nobody would probably elect me because of the thing that I did, whatever, in college or or whatever. So there's lots of people that don't even have courage to step up because of their past. So some quotes about heroes. Felix Adler, uh, quoted in Daily Guideposts, says, the hero is one who kindles a great light in the world who sets up blazing torches in the dark streets of life for men to see by. The saint is the man who walks through the dark paths of the world himself a light. I thought that was pretty cool. I want to be a light. I don't know if anybody would see me as a hero, but I want to be 
serving the audience of one. I want to be pleasing God by what I do. I want to be making right choices and doing the thing that I know that God wants me to do, even if it's inconvenient or uncomfortable, or if it seems like there'd be a shortcut that would make things easier or, or faster or more fun. But I want to be a light as to the one that's doing right. And sometimes, you know, that's tough uh, in all of the um, opportunities and choices that we have. But what a great thing to be a light. Michael Doris in Leadership Magazine talks about the trouble with being a hero. He writes, being positive is part of being a hero. Maybe the hardest part, because if you're a hero, you're smart enough to know all the reasons why you should be discouraged. And I think a lot of times when people do heroic things, they make sacrifices, they do all these things so that somebody can have something that they need. They, they give up, they, they sacrifice these things, or uh, they take the extra time, do all this stuff, and then it's not acted on, it's not appreciated, or uh, they don't value what was done. That can be really discouraging. Or if you're doing all that you can to honor and please God, and you feel like Jeremiah in the Old Testament, and it's like nobody cares, and they just wish you'd like be quiet and go lay in your hole. They just want you gone. Uh, that can be bad. But God sees what you do, and he can reward you for it. Arthur Ashe in Marriage Partnership wrote, True heroism is remarkably sober, very undramatic. It is not the urge to surpass all others at whatever cost, but the urge to serve others at whatever cost. Some of the best sermon research actually does come off the internet, so my sermon doesn't necessarily come off the internet, but there are great research things, and I was part of a large church where the senior pastor in this really big monstrous church had one of his associate pastors doing sermon research for him, getting illustrations, stats, figures, good Bible passages, all that stuff. And I can't afford that, so my sermon research person is called Google. And uh, sometimes we come up with really great stuff together. But I always like to quote the person, so I'm not plagiarizing, and I don't even know who this person is. But she did a really awesome job coming up with a summary on heroism, Elizabeth Johnson. So Johnson, there's probably a lot of Johnsons. But she's got this blog article about heroes. And she looks in the dictionary at all the different, different definitions of um, Hero, Merriam-Webster, Free Dictionary, Webster Dictionary, dictionary Dictionary.com. Then she summarizes it that the common key words that are used to define hero are courage, valor, noble character, fortitude, sacrifice. If you check at the source, you'll notice the same ideas in synonyms of champions, conquerors, role models, victors. So she summarizes, a hero is any person who courageously sacrifices for the sake of others. A hero is any common person placed in uncommonly difficult physical circumstances who displays uncommonly noble character. And from a spiritual standpoint, a hero of the faith is any common person placed in uncommonly difficult physical and spiritual circumstances who displays uncommon confidence in God and his promises. Then she lays out some of the heroes uh, that came to her mind. Old Testament characters such as Abraham, Joseph, Noah, Rahab, Esther, Elijah, Elisha, and Daniel. New Testament characters such as Mary, Joseph, Peter, John, Paul, Timothy. Missionaries such as Jim Elliot, Nate Saint, John and Betty Stam, Brother Andrew, Darlene Rose, David Livingston, Amy Carmichael, Hudson Taylor, and notable believers such as Martin Luther, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, C.H. Spurgeon, Johnny Erickson Tata, Watchman Nee, Elizabeth Elliot. And she summarizes it and said, Each of them faced some extraordinary circumstance which involved intense physical suffering or threat of death, along with extreme spiritual warfare, and yet lived in a way that shouted God's greatness to the world. There were people just like you and me who grabbed onto God's promises and never let go, despite the raging storms of suffering. 
in church leaders, uh, Ron Forseth was doing a sermon about Bible characters, and he came up with all the defects. Over 20 messed up Bible heroes. Adam, the first man, was a blame shifter who couldn't resist peer pressure. Eve, the first woman, couldn't control her appetite, and should we say, had the first eating disorder? Cain murdered his brother. Noah, the last righteous man on earth at the time, got drunk, cursed his son. Abraham, the forefather of faith, let other men walk off with his wife on two different occasions. Sarah, the most gorgeous woman by popular opinion, let her husband sleep with another woman and then hated her for it. Job, supposedly a contemporary of Abraham, in the epitome of faith, suffered from the nagging of a faithless wife. Rebecca, the first, quote, mail-order bride, turned out to be a rather manipulative wife. Jacob out-wrestled God, was pretty much a pathological deceiver. Moses, the humblest man on the face of the earth, had a very serious problem with his temper. Aaron, who watched Jehovah triumph over Pharaoh, formed an abominable idol during an apparent episode of attention deficit disorder or perhaps colossal amnesia. Miriam, the songwriter, had sibling jealousy and greed for power. Eli, who ruled over Israel, was a hopelessly incapable father who lost his sons to immorality and to an untimely death. David, a friend of God, concealed his adultery with a murder. The prophets, even as they spoke for God, they struggled with impurity, depression, unfaithful spouses, and broken families. And the list goes on. But what I see when I look at the Old Testament especially, or all the Bible, is that God shares what people were like. I mean, if man were to write the Bible and say, I'm going to write this inspirational work and you're going to follow it and everybody, every character is going to be perfect, then there wouldn't be all these issues. You wouldn't find all these defects in these people. Who would write that? Is that inspirational? So what God is giving us isn't prescriptive. He's not saying do this like that person did, but he's saying it's descriptive. This is what people are really like and I still love them and I still use them. And I mean, David really messed up. So the Bible's not saying, you know, oh, it's okay if you have an affair and do these things. It's saying that he did this and it was really messed up, but he was a, still a man after, my, after God's own heart. God says, he's still a man after my own heart. So David repented finally of his sin and wanted to continue to serve God. And he did. He even helped put aside materials to build the temple that Solomon would build for God. And he did all these things and he was faithful in all these things. But yet because of this sin, Uh, His household was still a mess for the rest of his life. So sin does have consequences. But we need to realize that when we fall and we mess up, we need to confess that sin and get right back up and keep serving again. You know, if we're in a war and we are in a spiritual war, if we get like shot at and we get grazed on our arm or whatever, it's not like we're playing laser tag. We're not out. You know, we just keep serving, even though we're wounded, or we keep serving. If we stumble and fall and we're embarrassed or whatever, we get up and we keep doing what we know we need to be doing. We keep pursuing the prize, keep knowing that we're not dead yet. The game of life isn't over yet. God isn't finished with this yet. And sometimes He can use the difficulties in our life, the things that we've done that are really messed up, to show other people how forgiving God can be and to encourage other people that they too can be forgiven and that God can still use them. Sometimes people share their testimony of faith and it's like, well, I was doing this and that was really wrong and I confess that before God and God helped me get on the right path and He didn't necessarily fix the mess I created, what a mess it is or was, but He's helping me to continue on through life and do His will even though I did this wrong thing or I sinned against Him or I did this thing um, that was wrong. So God can still use you. 
Chuck Colson is a great example of somebody who went to prison and then used that experience to start prison fellowship. Actually, I thought, was it a couple months ago, they highlighted a prison fellowship program in the Shakopee Women's Program, in the Shakopee Women's Prison, that uh, was really making a difference in those women's lives. I thought that was pretty cool that that would be on the 5 o'clock news. So, all right, so let's talk about what Jesus talked about when it comes to sacrifice. So in John 15, really love that passage. There's lots of great things, the vine, the branches, all these great things in John chapter 15 that are awesome. I just want to pull out the one part that always seems to come up at Memorial Day about um, laying down one's life for friends. So um, John 15, it's, I'll start at verse 11. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So if you read through John 15 in the beginning and you see Jesus talk about all of these ways that we should be living and um, being connected to the vine and everything, Jesus is the true vine, that Jesus isn't telling this to ruin our life. Jesus isn't telling this to make our lives difficult or to take away our fun, but so that we will be filled over full, overflowing with joy as we serve the Lord and accomplish his purposes. And I tell you, when you're serving the Lord, I mean, sometimes, sometimes it's not very exciting. I mean, spiritual disciplines, some mornings are awesome, other mornings they're not. I mean, if you have a Bible reading plan and you read through the Bible passages, sometimes you're like, all right, good to know. And other times you're like, awesome, that really spoke to me. That's why it's actually good to have a Bible reading program that uh, you're reading like maybe part of the Old Testament and part of the New Testament on the same day, or maybe... Uh, Old Testament, a proverb or Psalms, and then New Testament, you know, to get a bit of variety in there. Because, I mean, some days it will be dry, but it's still God's Word. It's good to know. It's, it can apply to your life. The Life Application Bible is really helpful, actually, at helping you to look at a passage and see how you can apply it to your life. But Jesus wants our joy to be full. Jesus wants us to experience the life that He has created us for, uh, a life of purpose, a life of meaning, and when we, chose, when we choose to do other things, when we choose to be distracted and shut Jesus out, we don't experience that life. And then we wonder why our life seems so disappointing, why our life seems so dry. So, okay, uh, these people, these imperfect heroes, number one, are motivated by love. So John fifteen twelve says, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. John fifteen seventeen says, this is my command to love each other. And we are to be motivated by agape love, a love for each other. Agape doesn't consider merit and doesn't wait for inspiration. It's the kind of love exemplified by God, especially in relationship with the Son. Moreover, the tense of the verb is imperfect, which suggests repeated or ongoing action. Keep loving one another. Sometimes in this kind of love, you don't really feel love for these people at first but you're showing them love and you're caring for them. And as you're showing them Jesus' love and as you're caring for them, you start to develop a love for them. So the feeling doesn't always come before the decision. Uh, what DC Talk had that old song, Love is a Verb. And many times we need to choose to show someone Christ's love. And then as we're doing that, we will start to develop a care and love for them. So often feelings follow a decision and we need to love people the way Jesus loved us. So a lot of times a hero will make a sacrifice because of his love for a person or a people or a group or his community or his nation. And they will say, I care about these people so much that I'm willing to do this. So I'm willing to fall on a grenade or I'm willing to give my life so that my comrade in the military or whatever, uh, I care about them. 
I want them to continue on. I care about them. I want them to hear about Jesus. I care about them. Jesus loved me so much, I want to show love for others. When we think about love, we really think about um, the love that Jesus showed us. God loved us before we loved him. In Jesus, we find both the supreme model for loving and the supreme resource. He commands us to love and helps us to accomplish his command. We love because he loved us first. Love is something that motivates heroes to take action. If we are like Jesus, we have a love for lost people because we want them to be saved. If we are loving like Jesus, we look at people that are like living a totally sinful life, one we totally don't agree with, and we still reach out to them in love because Christ loved us. And we look at what they could become in Christ. We look at what their life would be like if they came to Christ. We don't clean them up. The Holy Spirit helps clean them up. I was part of a group when I was a kid of independent Baptists that their idea was you'd share Christ with someone, they'd say the prayer, then you'd run them out to the barbershop help them get their hair cut, get them in some nice clothes so they look good so that they could go be a testimony, an ambassador for Jesus. When really, a better thing to do is lead them to Christ, disciple them in their faith. If the Holy Spirit calls them to cut their hair and clean themselves up, then let that's good, maybe. Clean themselves up is good. Let it be a conviction of their own that motivates them to do the right thing. Now, personal appearance is important. Cleanliness and hygiene is important. For years, we used to run the slogan in the church that says, don't dress up, just show up. But then, as real life experience came, we had to change it to the summertime and say, hey, don't just dress up, just come clean and modest. That'd be really great in the summertime if you could come clean and modest. They're willing to sacrifice. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. So Jesus showed, I mean, he was about to die on the cross. He was trying to his disciples into what was happening. He was going to give his life. We might not give our life. We might not die for someone else, but we're willing to sacrifice things. Sometimes we give money. Sometimes we give time. Sometimes we give resources. Sometimes we invest in a certain person or a group of people because we care about them so much. And we could have invested in ourselves, or we could have spent that money on ourselves, or we could have taken that resource and done something else with it, but instead we sacrificed out of love for these people. So some people are so focused on themselves that all they can do is love themselves. When we love like Jesus, it's so awesome when we're able to share and to care. Sometimes we love and we know our shortcomings, but we still are willing to sacrifice. Sometimes we're willing to sacrifice our own reputation. Uh, Sometimes we share uh, the things that we've done that aren't so perfect so that we can encourage someone else. It's a great thing, actually, to have somebody in your life you can share everything with and, and trust them with it. Jesus tells us to love. And in Ephesians 5, 2, it says, Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And 1 John three sixteen says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also ought to give our lives for our brothers. So on the backside of your notes from the New Believers New Testament, that I like it when you give to people, when you give them away. Interestingly enough, our sister church up the highway is using this Bible translation, and I think they're giving away these Bibles. And they're currently experienced record attendance. They're looking to build their third campus. They're really connecting with their community. They are leading lots of people to Christ. Give these Bibles away. It'd be awesome. But it talks about a disciple and how a disciple abides in Christ and how a disciple stays close to the Master. A disciple is fruitful. A disciple obeys the Master. A disciple loves others. It says, Jesus gave us the ultimate example of love by laying down his life for us. In essence, he is asking us to do nothing less. 
Although that may not mean actually dying for someone, it may mean placing someone else's need before our own. Willing to sacrifice. Are prepared to obey. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So there's a lot of people that are willing to sacrifice to do their own thing, to run their own program. But Jesus says, you know what's more important is that you do what I've told you to do. That you honor what I've given you. The Holy Spirit has given the Bible for us to use, to guide and direct our life. So Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I command. Do what I've taught you to do. Do what I've commanded you to do. Uh, be prepared to obey. So sometimes you're going to be a hero because you didn't give in to the culture. You're going to be a hero because you didn't compromise your standards. You're going to be a hero because Satan was trying to pull you down into temptation. You ran from that temptation. You didn't give in to that temptation. You did what Christ wanted, and maybe you're paying the price for it. Maybe things aren't good at work now because you followed Christ, or maybe things aren't good in the neighborhood or whatever. But Jesus says, obey me. So to obey is better than sacrifice. It says in the Old Testament, Number four, they're confident in their relationship with Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer call you slaves, or another translation, servants, because a master doesn't confide in his slaves or servants. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. And so when you're confident in your relationship with Jesus, you are more likely to invest your life in someone. You're more likely to be willing to make a sacrifice, because if you know who you are in Jesus and what comes next after you die in this life, you're like... What's the worst that could happen? You'd be like Paul that says, you know, to live in Christ is so much better. I mean, if I die, it's gain. And to live in Christ is so much better. And so it's not that we're going to short-circuit our life because if you like end your life too soon, you might totally miss out on what God had for you or someone might be looking to you to inspire them to follow Jesus. So it'd be really bad for you to cut your life off short and say, oh, I just want to go to heaven to be with Jesus. Wait for the right time. It would be so much better. But if you're confident in your relationship with Jesus, you're like, okay, if I sacrifice my life, I'm going to be with the Lord. If I sacrifice these things, I have all of eternity to enjoy a reward. If I give my life to serve these people in this way, I will have all of eternity to do things that I really wanted to do. So we're confident in our relationship with Jesus, and then we're willing to be heroes to make sacrifices. Number five, uh, heroes, even imperfect heroes, are fulfilling Jesus' purpose with his provisions. So Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. So Jesus says, I've chosen you, I've called you, I've saved you. If you are in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he has plans for your life. If you don't know what it is, you need to just ask him, pray about it, and then be willing to do whatever he calls you to do. You just step out in faith in the little things, and as you're faithful in those little things, he often gives you greater things. Often he's not going to take you working at your job or whatever and just say, call you right out and say, hey, uh, you would know like ministry experience at all or whatever. I want you to go start this church. Usually it's like you have lots of experiences that lead up to it and that he equips and qualifies those whom he calls. John 15, 26, Jesus says, I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. Uh, Acts 1, 8 also talks about that. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Or Belle Plaine, Jordan, Carver, Minnesota, the United States, Santiago, Chile, wherever. To the ends of the earth. Holy Spirit will empower you. The Holy Spirit will help you. The Holy Spirit will guide you. And then that fruit, one of the fruits is the fruit of the Spirit in our our life. The love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that inner fruit in our lives will lead us to love others and then care for others 
Uh, winning lost people to Christ so that they're saved is a form of fruit. Uh, there's many different types of fruit that we could look at, but basically Jesus is expecting our lives to produce a form of righteousness that uh, impacts others. That is like when you throw a pebble in the lake and it radiates, it radiates out with the ripple effect that we're supposed to impact others. We show you a lot of stuff on Right Now Media. This also is on Right Now Media. But Eric Metaxas has a great commentary on what it is to be a hero. So I'm going to grab the lights and show you this. One thing that I have noticed is that in the last, let's say, 40 years, really, uh, since I've been uh, growing up, we've kind of moved away from heroes and role models in society. We've kind of bought into this cultural narrative that, you know, we've got to question authority, that everybody who looks so wonderful isn't so wonderful behind the scenes. Of course, there's some truth to that, but if you take it too far, it becomes a lie, right? Uh, we used to teach that George Washington was a great hero in schools. We used to teach about heroes, and it doesn't mean that those heroes were perfect. But somehow, mainly in the 60s, we, we bought into this idea of the anti-hero. Everybody's kind of messed up. Uh, as I just said, don't trust authority. That's really problematic. We need heroes, uh, and we need to reverse that trend, and we need to praise what is good. It doesn't mean someone is perfect. Nobody's perfect outside of God. Uh, nobody's perfect except Jesus. But it doesn't mean that there aren't lives worthy of emulation. Uh, in my books, I write about some of these heroes. I say some of the things that they did wrong, but at the same time, we're, we're to celebrate what they did right. It's very important for us to have role models, to have heroes, to read books about people that are worth emulating uh, because that is how God communicates himself to us. And that trend uh, has been going on for a number of years, but we really need to reverse that trend. What is a role model? What is a role model? Well, first of all, I would say that whether you like it or not, you're a role model. Everyone is a role model. The only question is, uh, what kind of role model are you? Every one of us is a leader. We're leading others someplace. That's a chilling thing. It should be a chilling thing. Uh, I would say apart from God, uh, we cannot handle it. But with God, we can handle it. So the question is, to, is for us to think about the idea that um, there are people in your life who are watching you, your friends, your neighbors, your enemies, your kids, your parents, and you are leading them toward God or away from God, toward goodness, toward love, or away from those things. So we're all role models, that's the thing. And the other thing is that God has chosen things to work that way. People are inspired, uh, encouraged, or discouraged by other people. Jesus came to earth to live among us. He didn't say, here I am, I'm handing out some information, I'll see you later. He stayed, he lived. We're supposed to look at other people's lives and people are supposed to look at our lives. That is how truth really is communicated. That is how we learn. Kids look at their dads and their moms and they see how life is lived. How do they handle adversity? It's one of the reasons I've written biographies in my book, Seven Men and Seven Women. I tell these stories because I think that when you look at a life, you get a bigger picture of how people handle difficulties, how people handle success, which can be its own difficulty. Um, role models are at the very heart of how God set up his system of communicating himself to us. Of course, uh, he came down to this earth as Jesus to communicate what a hero, what a role model looks like ultimately. 
But then the question is, what about the people around Jesus? They were role models to other people who were role models to other people and on and on and on down through the centuries to us. So being a role model is something that we can't get out of. The only question is, uh, are we aware of it? Are we aware that God is using us uh, or that we're not allowing him to use us? That's really the great uh, the question for every human being and it's something we need to think about. All right, so you can easily get videos like that. Just go to the website, um, riverrockchurch.com slash, I think it's right now, and put in your email address and you get a subscription. You can get multiple email addresses. You can have multiple subscriptions. Maybe you want one for your kids uh, that's different from the one that you have, but it's a great resource. So who do you look up to? Who are your heroes? Who are your role models? Who is it that you look at and they did something in their life? They're not perfect, but they did something in their life that makes them a hero. There are certain Christian authors or people in ministry that I look up to that are like my heroes in, in different ways. There are certain people that, because of my experience with them, because I've looked up to them for so long or followed them for so long, I just trust them when they write things or say things. I'm much more likely to just take what they say at face value, but there's other people that I don't know very well that, you know, maybe a new author or a new person or whatever, and I'm like, I don't know if I believe what you believe or not. I guess we'll find out. Who are you looking up to? Who's looking up to you? Are you serving in such a way? Are you living in such a way that you can be used by God to be an example? Because we're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ. Two more passages, two more verses, and then we'll be done. All right, Ephesians 2.9, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, but we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God expects us to be doing things for him. God expects us to be serving. Jude 1.23, rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. So we're to be rescuers. We're to be working out God's plan. And so many times God's plan isn't in a different place or it's not in a better life or whatever. You know, so many times people say, well, if I had this, I would do that. Or if I lived here, I'd do that. Or if I had that education, then I'd do that. But instead, what can you do right where you are? Bloom where you're planted. What can you do in your neighborhood, in your school, at your workplace? Pray, look around and see what God can do in you to help advance his kingdom, to help people grow in Christ and to make disciples. Because that's what Jesus called us to do. He called us, you know, not to build great big churches, though it'd be awesome if we did. He called us not to be uh, in the limelight and loved by the media, though that'd be cool too. But instead, he called us to make disciples, and that can be really difficult. So how many disciples have you made? How many disciples have you brought up? And that's a good topic for another day. So next time when we get together, we're going to talk about being saved from an empty life. Thanks for listening. We invite you to visit River Rock Church 10 a.m. Sundays at 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. You can connect with us, find resources to help you grow in your faith, give online to support this ministry, and share your prayer requests with us at riverrockchurch.com. May God bless you. Share Jesus with others this week.